stop beating yourself up and use your energy to deepen your wisdom and choose differently now. This is a time where you have the chance to walk differently in the world and learn this peace that has been unresolved up to now. Because if beating ourselves up was a useful form of evolution, we'd all be enlightened. And it just doesn't work that way. That was Anna Forrest, and I'm Henry Winslow. You're listening to Dharma Talk. Dharma Talkers, thank you for tuning in to this special episode. It's rare that I have two guests on the show for one episode, and these two really make a powerful pair. But real quick, do you want to advance your yoga practice on your own schedule? Check out the Henry Yoga app. I've designed a 40-day, 40 minutes daily curriculum that includes Hatha Vinyasa classes and workshops to take you deeper. Go get the first two classes free at henryyoga.com. And gift codes are now available. Anna Forrest and her partner and co-director of Forest Yoga, Jose Calarco, have broadened the scope of yoga within their system to profound effect. And you may be surprised by some of the elements they consider to be essential to a spiritual practice. In all of their classes, all of their events, they honor First Nations peoples. They incorporate ceremony and creative expression, and they advocate for ethical veganism plus some other restrictions I'm personally not ready for yet. All of these components come together to help us look at our fears and choose to respond differently each time they arise. I was really moved by the idea that Anna shared with me that what if I considered musicality to be a part of my spiritual practice? As someone who grew up playing music and studying music and has since let that fall by the wayside is somehow less important than my work or my relationships, that idea was very resonant for me. And if you like the idea too, you've got to listen all the way to the end of this episode. It ends in a very unusual and extraordinary way. And as I record this introduction, it's in fact Anna's birthday. So if you're listening, happy belated Anna. I hope you enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you in part by Yoga East Austin. Just a few months away in early February, I'm happy to announce that my good buddy and local New York City legend, Benjamin Sears, will be doing a three-day training immersion at my old Shala Down in Texas at Yoga East Austin. I'm stoked for this one because Ben was one of my teachers in the early days of my practice and continues to be a big inspiration for me to always keep searching for better and better information. That's why I interviewed him on the show back on episode 17. Go check that out if you haven't heard Ben's episode yet. A bit of a yoga renaissance man, I love his style of teaching. Ben is not only a fantastic teacher of modalities he has studied in their original forms, and believe me when I say there are too many to list, But he stays passionate about an ever-evolving practice that he draws upon to best serve the needs of his students. His approach is practical and effective, integrating modern science-backed mobility work into traditional yoga modalities. The results? Intelligent asana sequencing to help you develop and deepen a yoga practice pain-free. In fact, Ben recently helped me out with some nagging shoulder pain over a casual dinner we had together. He gave me one simple exercise to include in my practice that basically cleared it right up. The 30-hour training immersion at Yoga East Austin this February is a peek behind the curtain to Ben's personal practice and his much-anticipated 200-hour teacher training he offers once a year at Lux Yoga, a wellness and lifestyle experience in the south of France he founded in 2007. If you want to learn more about your body from someone that has a wealth of knowledge moving pain-free, this training immersion is for you. Check out yogaeastaustin.com slash Benjamin for more info on this three-day weekend event happening February 7th through 9th in Austin, Texas. Do not miss out. And use promo code HenryWins at checkout to save 15%. 
Veronica, my wife, and I are gearing up for a tour, a little mini tour through Europe in January through early February 2020. We're going to be at the Yoga Garage in Florence, Studio Geotir in Milan, Anahata Yoga Studio in Thessaloniki, Greece, and Hara Yoga Studio in Barcelona. So check out the details for that little tour at henrywins.com events and sign up if you're in the area. Dharma Talkers, if you find the show valuable, please help me out by spreading the word. You can leave a review on iTunes that helps quite a lot with discoverability of the show or just share an episode with a friend that you really think could benefit from it. And if you have the financial means to do so, please consider making a donation to keep the podcast up and running at a high quality. You can always do that at henrywins.com slash donate. And to that end, I would love to thank Vish Chatterjee, past guest on the podcast, for making a donation last week. Thank you, Vish. I love your work, and I really appreciate you supporting mine. Now back to the show. For more than four decades, Anna Forrest, at Forrest Yoga on Instagram, has been bringing her particular brand of fierce medicine to the yoga world. An internationally recognized pioneer in yoga and emotional healing, Anna created Forest Yoga while working through healing from her own life's trauma and experience. Jose Calarco, her co-director of Forest Yoga, also comes from a long history with shamanism and healing, just in a different sphere, that of music and the performing arts. Forest Yoga is renowned as a powerfully physical, internally focused practice that emphasizes how to carry a transformative experience off the mat and into daily life. If you enjoy this episode and you'd like to know more about what Anna and Jose are doing, where to find them, how to study with them, then go to dharmatalk.show and type Anna in the search bar. That's A-N-A, just one N. And you'll find all the notes, highlights with timestamps and links for this episode. If you are searching for a new book to read, Remember that I keep a running list of every book ever recommended on Dharma Talk. So check that running list at henrywins.com slash books and pick one out. Without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Anna Forrest and Jose Calarco. Anna Forrest and Jose Calarco to the dynamic duo. You're here. You're here on Dharma Talk. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you? We're great. We're in Singapore. It's really a pleasure to get to talk to you. And uh, Henry, we're just coming off a 30-city world tour, and we're up to uh, city number 28. So we're quite exhausted. We've uh, completed four teacher trainings just this year. So we're sort of glad we can see the finishing line, and we're finishing this tour in Sydney, where Anna and I have one of our two homes. Okay. Wow. Look at you. You're, you're nearing the end. How much longer do you have to go to finish the 30 stop tour? Well, the last date is on the 28th of December. However, when we arrive in Sydney next week, we have workshops in Sydney and then we have a few weeks off and then we finish the year with this giant, uh, uh, yoga music festival called lost paradise which is somewhat, which is in the, the jungle, uh, which is somewhat like your Wanderlust and Burning Man. And then that's it. And we can finally spend some days on the beach after that. Beautiful. But here's well, the you thing, all... Henry, from February next yes. year, we begin another tour. Ah, uh, well, the, the cycle continues. Well, we're going to talk all about all of that. Um, we're going to talk about the lost paradise and everything that you're teaching and your teacher trainings. I'm excited to talk to you about your forest yoga system. But first, I always open with the same uh, opening question, and I would love for you to answer this. What does the word dharma mean to you, and what is your dharma as you understand it today? Dharma means to me what you do with what's been done to you, sort of like how do you manage your karma? And how do you choose to put your energy out in the world? Like if you've been hurt or had like some car accident or abuse or something, you can continue to perpetuate the anguish of that, or you can turn it into a healing process and teach 
other people in pain how to get free of their healing. Yeah. And for me, it's uh, walking through the fear and walking through the trauma and ultimately everything we want is on the, on the other side of the fear and trauma. I like that. Walking through the fear, walking through the trauma and seeing what's on the other side. So what, how are you doing uh-huh. that? You too, walking through your fear and trauma. Well, you know, even people like Anna and I who have been around the block uh, still have fear. Like, I mean, we, we are still human. We don't pretend that we are, you know, enlightened beings because we're not. We just know how to live above our demons. We know how to cultivate the life that we want. And whenever we feel fear, we disobey it. We disobey it and just keep moving through the fear And every time we've disobeyed fear, fear has become an ally, an energy, because we chose to to walk through it. What do you mean by disobey? Disobey the fear, because fear cripples most of us from doing anything. Some it fears from even getting out of bed. Like, you know, oh, don't, 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 you know, don't do this gig or teach in this place in South Africa. It's dangerous, you know. No, actually, mm. I'm going to disobey that and I'm going to go ahead and uh, uh, do that, that uh, performance there. And what I find is the fear's uh, energy actually becomes an ally. Uh-huh. So, so the fear actually what was crippling you when in your first thoughts actually becomes an ally in the process of doing. In the process of doing, the fear dissipates and becomes something else. Fear to me is actually one of the things that help us survive. So in balance, it's very useful. But instead of getting paralyzed by it like a rabbit freezing, hoping that the predator won't see it, we need to use it to wake up to all senses and get our feet active, deep breathing, and then make the wisest choice that that you can perceive at that moment. Like, what's the next step now? I'm scared, whether it's scared about risking being in love or scared about coming in front of a group of people and teaching them what's really precious to you or scared about not being enough. These are some of the things that assail us to experiment with finding out what's true because usually what the fear is about is a lie. And we coach people and we tell each other, disobey the lie. Don't live a lie. So there are a few different types of fear that you've spoken about. There's this sort of kind of a, a f- acute fear that might come up in a, in a moment where you feel threatened or in danger, maybe physical danger or, or some other kind of danger. And then there's this sort of fear that's more insidious and buried, like the fear that you mentioned of not being enough. I feel like it's probably easier to identify the one that's acute because there's a a shift that happens in the mental state. And I see what you mean by making it your ally. We can, we can harness that energy and use it to become more alert, for example. But what about that fear that's, that's more deeply buried? How do we bring it to the surface so that we can use it? I'm going to go to your, what you're calling acute fear right now. Let's say you're walking down the street and you, you get a little fearful or weirded out by someone that you see walking towards you or walking behind you. That could be your intuition saying, go, go cross the street. This is not a, a person that you want to come close to you because that person has foul intent. Or you start crossing the, the street and a truck is coming and your fear hits you. It, Use that fear to get the hell out of the way. So, you know, using your fear to help you with that big adrenaline rush. Yeah. With the insidious fear, we teach people, and we do this, to get the feet active, which is toes spread, connect to the earth. Take very deep breaths because the fear breath that paralyzes and, and blinds the mind is, is, is shallow. And so deep breathing so that you're perceptions can widen to encompass as much as possible of the situation, not the narrowing of vision and the narrowing of options that fear does. So you need Uh. to undo 
what the fear is doing that way and make a wiser choice than what the fear would have you choose, which is shut down or turn away from a challenging situation. You know, there's a purpose for fear and pain, Henry. Uh, When you think about it, fear and pain has bred many heroes. And certainly Anna is one of them. I haven't gone through anywhere near the traumas that Anna Forrest has gone through, but she had two choices. She had suicide, which is at the forefront of most yogis' minds. I'm learning uh, after the last 25 countries and 120 cities that suicide is always at the forefront of people's minds. And this was quite disturbing because I thought that the yogi profession was, oh, no, these people are a little bit better than the average Uh, you know, middle-class white citizens. But I I found that it's the suicide problem is widespread everywhere. So you have a choice to use your fear and pain, become a hero like Anna Forrest, or you can just use it to melt away in a a world of drugs and uh, alcohol and suicide. And And live in despair. And live in despair. So fear and pain is an opportunity to rise and become a hero or it's to uh, no longer be involved in life, be disconnected. I think one of the things that puts us into despair is we have a battle with fear and we win over it and then we think, oh, thank God that's done. But then when it comes up again in some other situation, we build into the battle like, oh, I failed because now it's coming up again. It's like, it's just coming up again. It's not a failure. Different life situation or the same. Each time it comes up, it's your chance to work your dharma differently than the pathways that were carved into you from your karma. So choosing differently. Choosing differently, right. Choosing differently and seeing the, the experience itself as a different one, even if there are aspects of it that are familiar. Yeah, and it's it's like... As we learn, as we evolve, we have these bits and pieces of our life cycle back for us to work with differently. And so we may be in many different relationships, but there's a thread that connects them all of something that we haven't solved yet. And we beat ourselves up with like, oh, I should have known this. I was 24. I should have known better. I was 50 years old. I should have known better. It's like, well, now is the time to learn it. So stop beating yourself up and use your energy to deepen your wisdom and choose differently now. This is a time where you have the chance to walk differently in the world and learn this peace that has been unresolved up to now. Because if beating ourselves up was a useful form of evolution, we'd all be enlightened. And it just doesn't work that way. (laughs) You know, Henry, I, I came up with new terminology in the yoga world for 4,000 years, Indians have always used the terminology that we must disengage the ego in order to be happy or be free of ego. But I gave the ego a new name and just pinpointed it to the bully in the mind. And I used the term the motherfucker in the mind. So all of us are living with the motherfucker in the mind. And everyone knows what I'm talking about. That bully which always denies us presence to come into the present moment and steals our energy. So, mm-hmm. and, and not being in the present moment is contaminating the future because the motherfucker in the mind is always looking to escape the present moment. And this is really, really dissipates our energy. And we teach people to disobey motherfucker. Don't let the most neurotic part of you drive your life. Let the wiser part of you drive your life. Henry, I hope that's okay to use that terminology, motherfucker, because... Oh, it's it's more than okay. It's encouraged. <laughs> All my black friends in the USA would be going, yeah, man, yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's call a spade a spade, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So people know what I'm talking about, the motherfucker in the mind, because each and every one has one. Right, right. 
Well, I sense already from the the conversation so far, and especially hearing you, Anna, talk about spreading your toes and feeling the earth in order to get through the fear, that for for you and for your system, for forest yoga, these practices are here for us to translate some sort of experience in the moment into a way of life. What can you define in in a very kind of summary way what is the core message of forest yoga what is what is the purpose of it and how is it framed well there's how, so how many, does the system work there's so many purposes but one of the bottom lines that we often use is mending the hoop of the people and the people also includes the animals and the environment so since i've become co-director of forest yoga for the past six years the first thing i did was install a vegan system, vegan-friendly yoga. A lot of people were upset about that because, you know, sometimes us vegans are seen as extremists, this and that, but no one had the facts. No one knew that uh, the meat and dairy industry were destroying the planet at such a level. Nobody knew that the average person was eating 13 cows, 900 chickens, 12 pigs, 2,000 pounds of offal. And when you multiply that by 7 billion people, it, 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 it's a process that cannot be sustained. So the veganism was the most important thing that one could do to save the planet, to save themselves, and to save the animals. The second thing we did is we started bringing in acknowledgement of the First Nations people. If we're in America or Australia, we honour that this is Indian land, this is Aboriginal land, bringing correct acknowledgement. The third thing I did was bring in musical direction and bringing in new forms of music healing and also some dancing. And we, a bit like First Nations people, when people get together, get together, it's not, when we get together especially, it's not just a yoga class, it's a spiritual gathering of people looking to explore or go deeper into the extraordinary and subliminal parts of themselves. So together, Anna and I create a system where we are trying to basically heal ourselves, heal the people and heal the planet. We also, there's there's so many. It's like we can't just do one little sound bite on this. It just doesn't work. It's more like something that goes out like a spider web with threads everywhere. We Ooh. teach people ways to heal themselves. And getting those tools to change their condition is very empowering. We also teach people ways to take responsibility for their own evolution and we think that's like the sexiest game in town. It is so sexy to choose how to work in a way that you evolve. We also use the ceremonies and the poses as a sacred arena to explore the great mystery inside. So you're working your healing, yes, that's profound and you'll learn a lot, including gaining your self-respect and walking through fear a hundred million times, but also Inside of you is like exploring the cosmos, exploring the dance of particles of the electrons and photons and what makes that dance and that choreographed dance. What's that intelligence in there of how to spread your spirit throughout your own body and then begin to live embodying spirit. This isn't, I'm not saying this in a light way. It's like, this is a profound teaching because when I look around at the world and as we travel all over and teach, our people have this big hunk of themselves that's missing. They're bereft of their own spirit. And so they try to fill it with addictive sex or shopping or food or drugs or just distracting themselves because something's missing in their life. And it's this connection to their own spirit and the spirit's connection to nature. So with this in mind, we bring these these principles and these tools to the forefront of people's attention and start teaching them how to connect and then saying, and now it's yours to do. 
But people need to do more than one ceremony. Like you go through ceremony and you feel exhausted and you feel refreshed and you feel reconnected. And then you go and you live your life for a while and you lose it. And so instead of thinking like, oh, I failed, I didn't learn everything in one ceremony. And it's like, go into ceremony again. This We need to bathe in the rains of ceremony frequently. What does the what does this sort of ceremony look like? What is involved? And I appreciate that you can't relay the outcome of the ceremony through describing it, but I'm curious what it actually looks like, practically speaking. So I have been involved in uh, the indigenous business for thirty odd years, and I was director of an Aboriginal company called Descendants Aboriginal Dance Company. And we traveled to over 40 countries and played at the world's biggest events. So I got to learn a lot from the Aboriginal people and many places that we played, we shared ceremonies with other countries. And also I came as an artistic director, musician, singer and songwriter. So the first thing I needed to do with Forest Yoga was create ceremonies that were meaningful real, that's meditations and invocations with musicality, storytelling, uh, traditional music, contemporary music, and be able to put the yogis, before we start, the physical part of the yoga practice to get them in sacred space. And what we, we do this yes. in Australia and we call this a corroboree. So our yoga classes are not just an exercise class. Our yoga classes are a spiritual gathering. I like to call them a corroboree of people coming together, looking to touch on or feel something sacred or subliminal. And to do this, we need music. We need ceremony. We need smoking ceremonies. We do a whole bunch of things to begin every single class. And we end the class just like the class begun. So it is quite, it, it is quite an, it's, it's an adventure, each class. And the purpose is for everyone to walk out with a spring in their step and create their own sense of hope. So I'll give you an example, a little more specific. It's like, I start with the smoke blessing cleansing ceremony, which is, I light two sticks of copal incense and me and my team will do a brushing of the electromagnetic field of each person while Jose is playing some music on the keyboard or on the guitar or one of our guest musicians is playing so that the music is seeping in where the words don't touch. And already people are being opened up and soothed and balanced. Then it can go into... Jose will do the invocation and the acknowledgments or maybe one of the songs, the Aboriginal songs or one of the native songs. There may be some other music pieces in there. Then we go into the setting of the intent for the class. And it could be very simple, like pick an area in your body that needs to heal, like your back pain. Or it could be very specifically pick an emotional issue and where in, in your body does that live? Yeah. And then we start focusing and coaching people how to breathe into that area, physically get in there so that the chemistry of the pain can begin to be released. Then there's a very carefully crafted intelligent sequence of poses. Like I am a sequencing queen. I love sequencing and <laughs> constantly polishing it to work better together and the sequencing is just amazing because you can put together a group of poses in a way that's really hurtful or really wonderful. And so, of course, we go for wonderful. And so as we're, we're co-teaching these poses, we're also cueing, you know, how do you use the elbow to knee, the abdominals to help move energy through your area? Get your breath in there. What are you doing inside? Are you thinking your usual blah, blah, bullshit thoughts? Or can you switch out of thinking into feeling and go after building this kinesthetic awareness and cleaning the area that's been hurt? Because there's a lot of debris in there. And so to clean it out and then deliberately bringing in a fresh healing energy, and it makes a difference. And then at the end of the class, 
in Shavasana, Jose. Well, in the middle of the class okay, as in well. The <laughs> in the middle of the class, we bring in moving meditations, usually to, you know, ancient instruments like the didgeridoo, where we do a moving meditation and come underneath the mental noise and get to experience what it's like to flow with the music coursing through our veins. And we bring in many ancient spiritual healing techniques, which I've learned with over the 30 years. So some are shamanic and some are original and some are learned. So coming to an Anna Forrest and Jose Calaco class is there's nothing like it on this planet because no one's lived through the experiences of Anna Forrest or Jose Calaco, even if they tried to replicate what we're doing and many teachers have once they've seen the new format of forest yoga, it can never be the same unless you're Anna Forrest and Jose Calaco and have walked in their shoes. And even with us, it's not the same because we are evolving. As the mm -hmm. years that we are in partnership continue, we're deepening our the weave of this beautiful tapestry of what we're doing. We're so proud of our work. We are so in love with what we're doing. But I want to finish the class here. So in the middle, we have this musical component. We don't play music through the whole class because we need people to listen to what we're saying and not just rock out. But we do have this hey, yeah. section in the middle that's frequently sons to music with coaching from Jose about how to use the music in this, in this sacred way. And then at the end, when it's Shavasana time, Jose will play music or his guest musicians, his support musicians will help him. And we'll have our assisting team running the music into their into people's bones they'll work on a few different individuals but the coaching also is to let the music take you into the dream time so it, yeah so everything i ever learned in my entire life henry i now bring to forest yoga as a singer songwriter musician artistic director entrepreneur uh, shaman everything i've ever learned I've managed to put it, unite with Anna, with what Anna has, and come up with something extraordinary. Yeah, it sounds extraordinary. I, I would love to experience that. We'll make it happen. Yes, we're, we're all over the planet. Pick a, pick a country. You know, um, I think you're coming pretty early in 2020 to one of my friend's studios in uh, East Austin. So I'll try oh, to make it to that oh, one. Yeah. We, yes. Yeah, we know a few people in Austin, Texas. Yes, we do. Yeah. We like Texas. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Texas too. I used to live there. Um, but first, I wanted to, before we get into planning next year's agenda, as exciting <laughs> as that is, First, let's finish this this topic because um, going through the the whole experience of the class, it's very clear to me how music direction, music healing, and dancing fits in. How spiritual gathering and ceremony fits in, even how acknowledgement of the First Nations peoples fits into the class. But how does the veganism work its way into your teaching? Into the courses, so we do an advanced teacher training course. Uh, which is nine days. We do a foundation teacher training course, which is 27 days. And Anna and I have just created a new five-day course as well. And during these courses, I've, uh, I teach, teach veganism as a way of life. And I've created uh, the uh, nine steps to veganism. I, I've just, I had to simplify it because people, uh, there's just so much information about veganism out there. So I wanted to use my lifetime of experience just to bring it down to nine simple steps, nine simple steps. So uh, you don't have to read a thousand books or whatever, but one of the most interesting, like, I mean, we want the world to go vegan because by going vegan, uh, a meat eater uses 17 times more land and resources than a vegan. And a vegetarian uses four times more land and resources than a vegan. So simply by going a vegan, you're putting your hand up to save the animals and save the planet. But uh, I don't think people realize that every time they eat, 
they're voting either for the destruction of the planet and the destruction of their own health, or if they eat a vegan diet, they're voting for the healing of the planet. It's that crucial. So I can send you the nine steps to uh, conscious eating, if you like, uh, Henry. I can send it to you by email after this interview. But one of the most controversial steps of all there, and the reason I had to go it alone uh, from previous teachers, like my teachers in veganism back in the 80s and 90s, we agreed pretty much on everything. But then, uh, you know, my teachers started really smelling, really stinking. They stunk of onions and garlic after every meal. And in the spiritual quest, I was told many times and by Hare Krishnas and Buddhists and uh, Jose, uh, you, you know, you have a great light about you and you worked in the psychic arena uh, and the healing arena, but you stink. And I thought, what? <laughs> what do you mean I stink? They said, you stink <laughs> of garlic. And I said, really? Come on. Me stink of garlic? And they, yes, you stink of garlic. And if you were to get rid of garlic and onion, uh, your psychic faculties would bloom by 20 30%. So I investigated that and I thought, I never heard that one before. No garlic and onion, but... Then when we went to Rishikesh, India, and all the sacred uh, temples around the world, we found out that there's no garlic and onion at all. And when one is right. serious on the spiritual path, then garlic and onion has to be uh, gotten rid of because cleanliness. And chilies, right? And um, chilies also. No, not chilies. Not chilies. No? Ever. Okay. No, so that, every, that is some people's that is some people's path, but, but we we like chilies. Yeah, yeah, no, some people anything <laughs> we like them. But really, it was just the two sting foods, I, I, and of course, all the onion family, the shallots, chives. So garlic and onion is absolutely forbidden in all the temples in India, in Korea, in Vietnam, all the sacred Buddhist temples, Hare Krishna temples. You look, there's no garlic or onion. So Anna and I gave it a try and we implemented it into forest yoga. And these gurus and these teachers of no garlic and onion were absolutely right because in every yoga room in the world, the yoga room stinks of garlic and onion. In every hotel, <laughs> it stinks of garlic and onion. In every aeroplane, the aeroplane stinks of garlic and onion. In every elevator, you name it. Everywhere Anna and I went, everybody stunk of garlic and onion, and that ain't sexy, and that ain't spiritual. <laughs> yeah, I have heard that the the onions and and garlic are considered not to be sattvic foods. I haven't made it that far. I, I'm I'm happy with my vegan diet for now, but you know what? You probably think I stink now uh, that you're acclimatized to the totally clear foods. Well, my darling, we can't quite smell you from this distance. We'll, we'll let you. Well, that's good. When we finally get to meet you. So here's another piece about the onion garlic is the onions irritate the, that very delicate stomach lining and garlic yeah. penetrates the blood brain barrier and kills brain cells. It ruins your hand eye coordination. And NASA did a study on this and forbid their, their astronauts and pilots to eat onions and garlic before they did a mission because it ruined their coordination. Wow. Wow. So this is it's, important it's information. Our people are fed misinformation about food and about drugs and about so many things. And we end up poisoning ourselves, especially with garlic. People think, oh, it's good for you. It's like it's not good for your heart. That's what you always hear. Yeah, but it's it's not. It's not. It's an it's antibiotic. Not. And if we use it as an antibiotic, garlic has a place. But to use it in every single food, and trust me, you look at the labels on everything, mustards, mayonnaise, garlic is in absolutely everything. It's a cheap yeah. and nasty filler. And, uh, you know, we really have to look at labels very closely because somehow garlic- I'm sure you do. To get everywhere. We do. We, it's a lot like sugar in that way. Yeah, Insidious. They put it everywhere. That's true. Sugar is in everything. And sugar is one of those things that really batter people around emotionally. And so people mm -hmm. that are in chronic pain, 
and that have uh, these emotional ups and downs all the time, they need to cut sugar out because it's, it's throwing them off. Sugar is also a foul creature. And I'm not talking about the sugar that's in the apple. I'm talking about the white powder. I recommend people stay away from all white powder. (laughs) 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 Those things. But with sugar, it's, it's very hurtful. If you want a sweet, eat a piece of fruit. Yeah. But, but all the other stuff on the nine steps to conscious eating is pretty much, you know, common sense, eat, you know, to eat organic, to eat local, to eat fresh, to eat raw as much as possible because cooking leaches out the nutrients. So it's a very simple nine steps. And if you can't go vegan, then go vegetarian. And that is a step to saving the planet and saving yourself and animals as well. Right on. When I went vegetarian the first time back in the dark ages of the 70s, I found out after a series of experiments that I actually was not doing well on the vegetarian diet. And at first I thought it was I was detoxing from all the drugs and the alcohol and the craziness. But after a while, I realized there's something else going on. And I was having a hard time focusing on my own healing because part of what I was needing to do without knowing it at the time was to cultivate my own self-respect. And I, I, it was hard for me to care enough about myself to heal. So I gave up on being a vegetarian and went back to eating meat and moved out in the wilderness and learned how to hunt and all that. And part of me shut down that was opening. Because what was happening is whenever I ate, my stomach hurt. And I thought that was just the way it was. And then years later, I did a whole series of allergy tests, and I found out that many of the foods that I was told I had to eat as a vegetarian to get my complete proteins that I was allergic to, like grains and beans. And so when I became a vegan, when Jose and I met in 2014, I realized I already knew the foods I couldn't eat. And I made this leap of faith, like I want to eat in a way that is helpful to the planet, not destructive. And I had to find out, like, how does it work for me? And I thought it was going to be this diet of deprivation. And I eat much more savory foods, much more delicious foods than I've ever eaten in my life now. And so it's not a takeaway process. It's I eat, I thrive, I'm strong. People think like, oh, I have to eat somebody's leg in order to be strong. And it's like, no, you don't. Look at a horse. They're vegan. They're very strong. Look at giraffes. Look at elephants. These are very strong people. And they're vegan. You don't have to chew on somebody's leg in order to be strong. That's that's a myth of misinformation that the meat and dairy industry put in your head. So quit believing the myths. So the people that think like, oh, I can't be a vegetarian because I'm type O or I'm this or I'm that. It's like study the way your teeth are made. Study your intestinal tract. You have the capacity to gain, to get the most nutrients out of a plant-based diet. You do. You can totally thrive on this diet and not destroy the planet. So, Henry, the vegan thing is just one step of many steps that we give after our teacher trainings. Obviously, a daily yoga practice is fundamental in your evolution and uh, striving for happiness. Secondly, a vegan diet. Thirdly, we uh, encourage the students to begin a program of insight or reconnect with the arts. And what I mean by a program of insight is music, writing, acting, singing, some, singing whatever in the arts, because many pe- students that come to us were either musicians, singers, dancers, not professionally, but they were doing it as a passion. And once they got into a relationship or started working, they gave up the arts. So we also put the arts as a spiritual practice. Also, that's totally me. That's me right there. Uh, I grew up playing music. As in, yeah, I was in bands. I played classical violin, played rock bands and with guitar. And then adulthood came around and next thing you know, it's just fallen by the wayside. And I feel like yoga has in fact brought me back to that creative impulse and I find little ways to incorporate it now, but I I totally see what you mean, how it's all synced up together. Henry, what if you chose 
to give some time each day to your music as part of your spiritual practice. Exactly. That's that's what needs to happen. Yeah, because you, it will. Make, I'm inspired by this conversation right will, now. It will make your spirit so happy to pick up your instruments again. It's been incredible. At every training, I encourage people that a yoga practice is not going to be enough. You're also going to need a vegan diet. You're also going to have to get uh, use the arts in some way as a spiritual practice. And if you can't play an instrument or sing and dance, you can write or you can do something because the body needs movement. The mind needs stillness, the emotions need expression, and the spirit needs nurturing. And, you, you, you know, we come in four parts, not one part, and most people are just coming in doing a spiritual practice. They're eating fried chicken and beer for dinner and then watching sport and, you know, not giving their, their spirit the nutrients that it requires. So Anna and I are always encouraging to feed the spirit, feed the good wolf, not the bad wolf. Mm -hmm. so another thing I interrupted you to talk about how I needed to play music, but I think you were going to go on and say what you taught the trainees to do uh, probably about the, about the ceremony aspect. Well, we, we teach them the songs and they sing with us. They start learning how to sing with us just for the sheer joy of singing it. Also how to do simple ceremonies in nature, you know, writing your aspirations and dreams, coming to a stream or a river, writing, stuff and floating it down the river, burying it at a tree, singing to nature, doing invocations. I show them how it's all done, how first people do this sort of stuff. Singing is praying. Uh, it is a form of praying. And uh, it's, it's so important that people connect to their voice or the arts. Once again, we, we had a woman in one of the trainings who had not sung for 24 years. She got married, put it away, and I encouraged her, please, let's do this. Because in the ceremony, Anna and I also invite the students to participate in the ceremony with a song, a dance, even storytelling, a reading, any way they can show us what their spirit has to offer. And she hadn't uh, sung for 24 years. And when after she did it, for her, it was equivalent to a gold record for a music artist or climbing Mount Everest. It was the same equivalent uh, sort of achievement. It was a huge breakthrough for her. And, and the list just goes on and on. You know, people who had uh, given away or been writing songs for 17 years, uh, people need to reconnect to that subliminal part of themselves, the, the artist, the poet. And then there's people like me. I'd never had music in my life or any of those things. And so now I, I brought in drumming and doing the native chants that I was taught, but I didn't do it very well because I didn't have any place for that music really to live. I was just carving it. And then when Jose came in with his whole music his musical soul. It was easier for me to, to learn in this field. So I'm so happy getting to learn to sing and play drum and clap sticks and cool ups. And, you know, I'm excited about learning other instruments in my future. That's really thrilling. But I want to backtrack to something is people frequently ask me like, well, how often do I have to practice yoga? You know, like it's this big burden, like, oh, this physical fitness thing, you know, I have other things, I'm busy. And it's like, well, how often do you brush your teeth? <laughs> yeah, right. Because that is a really Say, good maintenance, way. maintenance of the body. Yes. Hygiene. Yes, because your cells get as dirty overnight as your teeth do. It's like that furry, nasty feeling in your mouth in the morning. That's what's going on in your cells. And that's also what's going on mentally and emotionally. And so when you do your yoga practice, especially with the deep breathing and the intent that we teach, you clean yourself, you rinse your mind, and you give your emotions a, a soothing and an outlet. So it's like, yes, practice every day. Yes, even if you're busy. We're the busiest people I know. And when we have to, we get really early to practice. And sometimes all you can do is a 20-minute practice. That will help. So if in your mind it's like, oh, I must do three hours or it's no good, it's like that's a sabotage. 
Start with something mm-hmm. every day. Go to classes as much as you can, but eventually doing something at home too so that you can have yoga whenever you need it, not just like, oh, it's not time for class, but I'm, I'm flipping out. It's like use yoga every time you need it, but do it as a daily practice. Now, another piece I want yeah. to add is one of the things that I learned how to do with music a long time ago was when I was feeling really out of sorts or, or deeply in pain or suicidal, I would turn on my favorite music and I would do sons until the, the horribleness of wanting to drink or wanting to do drugs or wanting to be bulimic until that passed. And sometimes I'd do sons for 20, 30 minutes. Sometimes I would do them all night. Like when my life was, I was feeling suicidal. It would take me gutting through the night to the sunrise before I would be like exhausted and sweaty and virtuous. Like I made it through and I also worked myself in a beautiful way. So yeah, I I wasn't able to do a whole practice because my mind was too upset, but I could turn on music and do suns. And so for those people that are haunted by their, the ghosts of their past, do sons to music and, and exorcise them. How, how was it, or can you even explain that, um, how was it that the sun salutations and, and yoga helps you to get through that? Mm. Well, our emotional mental processes are, are intimately linked with our breath, our blood flow, the poison that we put in our body, intimately linked. And so when doing suns, you're moving your blood, you're oxygenating your blood, you're moving the poisons out, and you're also interrupting the motherfucker thinking that's dragging you deep into a hole of depression and sorrow. So you're changing all that on a chemical, spiritual, mental, emotional level. And you're doing something that builds your self-respect, which is essential for healing. Mm. You know, like when I would be done with suns, like, okay, I'm okay now. I would feel respect for myself like I made it through this. I didn't go drink or I didn't go throw up or whatever it was that I was choosing differently. It's Sometimes it it really takes making those warrior's choices. Like, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to change my actions. Yeah, I I think think that second part is is huge because – even if the first part is true, which I agree with you, it is. We have like lethargy baked into our bodies and all sorts of emotions entrapped in our cells that need to be cleaned out and processed. But if it's just a hygienic practice, then ultimately the same kind of um, root problem is going to surface over and over again. But the discipline and self-respect that you develop through yoga practice is what has the lasting factor. Well, when Jose was talking about a program of insight, and he talked a lot about the arts, I want to add in there this deep introspection is necessary is to learn to know yourself, know what's haunting mm-hmm. you. You know, if you need to go into therapy, you do that. Go into ceremony, which are designed for you to understand yourself and to win over whatever it is that's entrapping you so that you can move into a life of freedom. It's like this introspection is very important. And so we bring that into the yoga room, but there are people that have had a lot of big stuff happen to them and they need a psychologist or a therapist to help them walk through those entrapments and learn how to live free of them also. Mm -hmm. It, It needs to be done together because if you just go to therapy and you don't move it out of your cell tissue, all that stuff is still archived in your cell tissue. Opening the body is like opening the mind. So, and also we have all this cellular memory. So when we breathe, stretch and uh, do yoga, we are opening up this cellular memory and, and, and letting it out. Uh, opening the body is opening the mind and expanding our consciousness as we do the practice. So that's why people feel so good when they actually start moving the body. And by moving the body, it stills the mind as well. So you get a couple of good benefits there. And this is why Anna's physical sons always was able to dispel 
the thoughts of suicide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful how it all works out like that in perfect synchronicity and perfect harmony. Yeah. I have a proposition and if you don't want to do it, it's okay. We can cut this out of the recording, but I was thinking it might be nice for you to serenade us with a song. How would you feel about that? <clears throat> okay, well, it's early morning here. I haven't tuned to the guitar. Well, what we'll do is uh, uh, we'll do a hummingbird chant in the Cherokee Nation. So a hummingbird chant is about giving good energy to all the listeners and spreading joy. Oh, beautiful. And the second part of the chant is the Warhali is about the spirit eagle and the spirit eagle is the messenger that sends our prayers into the heavens so all you listeners out there today whatever you have and you want manifested think about it during the song and we'll free it into the heavens that's what the chant is about So, folks. Amazing. That was perfect. <laughs> I feel it. I feel the rhythm. Yeah, hopefully it's not distorted. That was awesome. Oh, thank you. It might be a little bit distorted, but that was amazing. And I appreciate you just hopping in and, and taking me up on the on the on the challenge to do that on the spot with no, no warm-up. I think the, the listeners are gonna love it. I did. I did for yeah. sure. Well, with that being said, let's move on to the final section of the interview. This is where we wrap things up with a six-question rapid-fire section. I call it the prana round. So please answer in minimum one word and maximum one sentence, okay? Okay. In one word, why do you practice yoga? You can each answer. Joy. Choose life. What is your favorite yoga pose and why? Twisting. Lunge interlock. Uh, no, not twisting lunge interlock. Uh, spinal twist. Many spinal twists. I love handstands. <laughs> and back then. And so many. So many. Actually, I love them all. <laughs> it's half lotus spinal twist. I love all twists, but half lotus spinal twist is a way to keep a man happy in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> okay. What is the single best cue or piece of advice that you've ever received from one of your yoga teachers? Breathe. <laughs> when I, 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 I 
I have a tendency to hold my breath in postures and breathe. Breathe. Anna? It's been so long since I've worked with someone else that I would call my yoga teacher. I'm, I'm having to go back like 40-something years. Yeah, don't <laughs> got an answer for that one. I have... Okay, I have, we'll, I have we'll stick with like the, the sacred ones and, and nature and lightning and storms. Oh, I, I was her vegan teacher, so going vegan. There we go. Go vegan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go vegan. <laughs> All right, recommend one book, modern or ancient, for our listeners. I like Initiation by Elizabeth H. Four Agreements. Aha. Uh-huh. Four agreements. Yes. Okay. Or Black Elk Speaks. That's a great one too. Black Four Elk Speaks? is more of a teaching book. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We can put all of those. Yeah. Black Elk Speaks is amazing. I'm very inspired by Black Elk. Very good. Okay. Uh, next question is... And Elizabeth... Oh, they keep, they keep coming. Is <laughs> an extraordinary book of a woman searching for enlightenment and going into... Extraordinary past lives. Fierce medicine. There we go. Okay, and that's that's your book, Fierce Medicine. Yes, it is. Yes. Okay. Beautiful. All of those will be in the show notes. Next question is: Is yoga for everyone? I think yoga is for everyone who has a body, no matter what's going on with it. Yes, even people that can't get out of a chair, there is postures you can do. In a chair. And breathing. And breathing. And ways of alleviating whatever suffering is going on. One sentence, one word. Oh, well. That's okay. Sometimes that one spawns a whole discussion. So we'll keep it at that for now. The last question I have for I you add, is... I do want to add one. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. It takes some skill to modify the yoga practice to suit the human, but that is essential. Modify the yoga practice to suit the human. Chew on that. Chew on that for a bit. For example, I've I've taught yoga to people. Who, I've taught yoga to people who are bedridden. So it, there's poses that need to be appropriate for someone in a bed. Right. How can our audience get in touch with you, and how can we support you in your dharma? Okay, we have a website forestyoga.com and forest is spelled with double r people always spell anna's name incorrectly they put two n's and one r it's one n and two r's, two r's but actually it's just forestyoga.com that is the website then on instagram there's forest yoga which is anna and i's instagram account then there's a separate jose calaco instagram account and we have Facebook accounts, or you can email us. And the music. And, of course, our music has just gone worldwide, and we have an amazing YouTube channel, Jose Calaco YouTube channel, and Forest Yoga YouTube channel. And our music is very much our songs of our souls and our hearts to the people. So we really want people to, to listen and bring it in as good food for them. Yeah. Good food for their soul and heart. And the album is is a combination of all sorts of things. It's singer-songwriter-style st- uh, ballady stuff, which I sent you. There's also uh, Aboriginal stuff. There's uh, all sorts instrumentals. It is a real musical journey. What's the best place to find the new album? iTunes. Spotify. Spotify. iTunes, Spotify. Okay, all, all the online places. Yes. yes. And YouTube, you can see our film clips because Anna and I do a lot of care into our film clips. Very good. Very good. So check that out, everyone. Go listen to the music. Get some good food for your soul and your heart. And Anna, Jose, it has been such a pleasure to get to talk to you both. I can't wait to have my first experience in ceremony with you. I know it's going to happen soon, probably early next year. But until then, have a beautiful time on the rest of your tour and, and take care of yourselves. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Henry. And bring your violin with you when you come in ceremony and we'll include you as part of the ceremony. <laughs> okay, okay. Very good. 
Take a breath on that one, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Dharma Talkers, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And if you did, please share it. Take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, and tag me, at Henry Wins. I love hearing from you about the conversations that make an impact for you. We have the ability to shape the world through our thoughts, words, and conversation. So let's influence the collective consciousness together. All my gratitude to Rory Wagstaff of Ease of Mind Productions for keeping our audio crisp and operations smooth, and to Patrick Kiebzak of Momentology Music and Art for supplying the powerful soundtrack to these conversations. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and tune in to new episodes of Dharma Talk every Thursday. I'll speak to you next week, and until then, keep living your Dharma.